My name is Alex. I'm Kev. And I'm Jim. And this is Topic Lore is the only place on the internet you can hear topics discussed. Alex, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Uh, sure. My name is Alex. I would like to plug my Twitch channel where I stream video games uh, every night. So you can follow me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash games. Oh, that's an every that's every night. Wow, that's every night. That's a commitment. What What are some of the games you're streaming at the moment? Uh, I just started uh, Tears of the Kingdom, so I'm very very excited. Probably still be playing it when this episode comes out. <laughs> oh yeah, we we've got a good uh, discussion thread happening in the Topic Lords Discord for that game. If you'd like to join in, for all you know, I know you're already in there. I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to stay spoiler free for now, but you know, once I get a little further in, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Kev, would you like to introduce yourself, or do you have anything to plug? I'm Kev. I don't have anything to plug at the moment. Happy to be here. Big fan of the show. Uh, let's do this. First time, long time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Alex, your topic is sports are good, actually, apparently. Yeah, apparently. Who knew? Yeah, so like when I was, you know, when I was a kid or when I was a, a young adult, I had this very uh, rigid uh, self-image of myself as like a nerd, right? Like, so I was into like D&D and video games and doing my homework and, you know, all that nerd stuff. And so what kind of came as part of that is that like, well, obviously I don't care about sports, right? Nerds don't care about sports. That's not a thing. And it took me like decades to kind of separate that out and realize that like, well, actually it's okay for people to like more than one type of thing. Well, and not only that, I would say a lot of sports fans are are, are huge nerds about their sports. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, there's so many dimensions to it. But like now I play roller derby and it's like one of the most fulfilling things in my life. And like, I don't know, I'm so glad that <laughs> that I got past that, like very rigid definition of, you know, who I am. Well, well, roller derby is your gateway into sports here. Yeah. Uh, OK, so. I can I relate to you about the nerd, uh, you know, upbringing and background and not being into sports. I was into skateboarding. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, that's I guess that's considered a sport now. Right. It's in the Olympics and everything. But uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Time it was, you know, not a sport. People would joke. It's like, you know, anything you have to hit a bong before is not a sport or something, you know, like that kind of bullying. <laughs> it's just self-medication. It's, yeah. it's the equivalent of doping. It's performance enhancing. But but it's very interesting to hear you in roller derby, you now uh, appreciate sports because that seems so far off from traditional basketball, football, baseball sports, in uh, my opinion. I guess, well, what are some of the values you like picked up from roller derby that made you appreciate sports in general? Well, I mean, I think like, you know, like any sport, it's the big part of it is just the physicality, like doing things, you know, with your body uh, to accomplish a goal on part of a team, you know, for team sports, I think is a big thing that I really enjoy too. So yeah. I think like it applies to to most sports, but I think the thing that really got me into roller derby is like, I really like, you know, going fast and shoving past people. And like, that's the whole, that's the whole game. That's very cool. Yeah. Regarding the, the perception of roller derby, I, I think a lot of that is like the public perception of roller derby is very much about like, like, like almost like sexualized violence. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it's a, it's a women's sport. And also there's an element of almost like sex work of it, or at least there used to be. And I, I presume there's a real sport in there. Like you're actually competing and actually like, it, it's not just athleticism on, uh, in the, in the same way that like, for example, professional wrestling is athleticism. Yeah, yeah. Like it's totally it's like a legit sport, you know, it's a it's an athletic endeavor. I think one of the things like and it is like a full contact sport, right? So there's a level of violence to it. But I think what I really like about it compared to something like ice hockey, for example, where there's also a lot of violence. Right. That I feel like in ice hockey, like a lot of the violence is kind of directed, you know, from one player to another as like, you know, a conflict. You know, if you're in a fight with someone in, in hockey, you're like trying to hurt them. And it's not part of the game. It's like right. it's, it's Part of it's the, like this extra layer on top. It's part of the mm -hmm. culture of playing the game. And I'm not sure, I, I don't know enough about hockey to know how much that actually feeds back into the game. Yeah, there, I don't know exactly either, but there's definitely, you know, some some feedback there. But I think what's cool about roller derby is like, it's full contact. There's, you know, there are big hits. You knock people off the track. But the goal is always to displace someone or take their spot or move them. It's never to, you know, harm them. Yeah. This is a very timely topic because I'm going to uh, the Oakland A's game this afternoon, and probably this. Are they still in town? 
Yeah, probably the second baseball game I've ever been to. Uh, and I'm not really into sports. And yeah, they're leaving town, so it's kind of awkward timing, but also <laughs> also very novel, you know, to be like, oh yeah, we're there before they leave. Yeah. Does anybody on the call know what why that's happening? No. Like, it's some they couldn't come to an agreement with yeah, political city. contract negotiation, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and baseball is one of the the nerdier sports, I feel like, in terms of statistics and, and yeah. whatever. For yep. sure. Some people go really deep into baseball stats, like insanely autistic analysis of, you know, like, uh, I don't know, fucking player stats or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a um a video series. I don't think it's happening anymore called Chart Party on YouTube, uh, which is it's just a every every video is a a deep dive into some different aspect of popular sports and i don't follow any of these sports but i find this stuff fascinating mm-hmm. really interesting like storytelling using data oh yeah i love that that's such a cool thing yeah really interesting stuff there's a it's it's a two-part video that's each, each part is an hour long so it's basically like a feature film called the bob emergency which is about athletes named bob over the past 150 years <laughs> <laughs> And how there are so few of them now because nobody goes by Bob anymore. There's still plenty of Roberts around. Interesting. So there's just that's another uh, dimension of statistics. This is a Bob chart that falls off over time. Yeah. There's like seven Bobs left and like they're all aged. I wonder if there will be a resurgence as, you know, names, popularity of names is somewhat cyclical. So there may be a, a resurgence of Bobs in the future. Yeah, yeah. Who was the top Bob? Do you uh, did you catch that, Jim? The top Bob, <laughs> like yeah. the, the <laughs> I don't know. They were all different sports, so I don't know how you define that. Is this like a Highlander situation where like the fewer Bobs there are, the more powerful they become? <laughs> it, looking at their pictures, it didn't look like it. <laughs> yeah, I can't find like that. I would have to like actually go through the video to find a list of Bobs. I can't find one. Uh, just like, here's all the Bobs mentioned in the Bob emergency to remind myself. So, Alex, you're new to roller derby. Have you done any sports prior to that? Not not really. How about just any general physical activity, ex- exercising, weightlifting? Or was that considered part of the, like, normie, uh, you know, non-nerdy culture? Yeah, I mean, a little bit here and there. I, I used to do a little bit of, like, uh, you know, fitness stuff, uh but I was never super, super into it. Yeah. Um, I bike a lot, which is, which I think is, is pretty, is pretty cool. It's like kind of a nerdy form of activity in some ways. I don't know. Yeah. I recently got into biking. I went to the, the East Bay bike party last month. Oh, nice. I showed up. I have a bike I inherited from a friend. I helped him move and he was like, Hey man, I got a bike in the backyard you can have for helping me. So I go look and it's like tipped over in a puddle of mud overgrown in weeds. And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Had to take it into the shop and get it repaired. Cost about as much as the bike. Sure, Anyways, yeah. I was, I was going to go to the bike party last month and I, you know, I go to leave. I grab my bike and like I noticed both the tires are kind of flat, deflated. And like, yeah, you're right. This is a nerdy thing where I just don't know any of the components of a bicycle, the maintenance or whatnot. So I get to the bike party and there's just like, you know, die hard bike people there. And, uh, you know, I'm walking around, does anybody have a pump? Can somebody help me pump up my tires? Right. And then, you know, people are like, what kind of valves do you have on those tires? I'm like, I don't know. I was like, what the-? You know, and then they like pop off the cab and they're like, oh, these are like a Floyd Rose bridge valves, you know, like these, I'm like, oh, great. You know, like, can I get this pumped up? Right. Like, yeah, and then I'm sure a furious debate ensues about the merits of different types of valves, yeah. Yeah, they're like, do you have a flat tube? Like, do you need to replace your tube? I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just know how to ride a bike. I'm here for that. Uh, so, yeah, definitely something you can go deep in the nerd zone on. Yeah, for sure. And then, Jim, have you played any sports? What's your sport background? So, like, not counting grade school, uh, I mean, God, in in... I played a little bit of volleyball in college, not like in a competitive way, but wow. just like, uh, cause I remember, I remember enjoying that sport. 
Um, but like as an adult, like about a hundred pounds ago, I would go rock climbing on a regular basis, like go bouldering mm -hmm. on a regular cool. basis. And that was a lot of fun. The team that was making America's Army, if you remember that game, yeah, uh, they lived in the Bay Area and I played Ultimate Frisbee with them until that team got dispersed into the ether. Apparently they found another way to make that video game that didn't involve people from the Bay Area. And eat, like to be clear, like a hundred pounds ago, I was not fit. I was still, I was still pretty big, and even though I enjoyed like bouldering a lot, it was very uh, disheartening to see like people just like a, any skinny person off the street could climb better than me after a couple of days, mm. and it was it was very frustrating. But I um, it was a good time. Like I, I always. I don't know. I grew up playing platformer video games like Super Mario Brothers. And I feel like like bouldering is just like a, a tiny, like a twist of the knob away from, from Super Mario Brothers. Like the through line is maybe going through like uh, like Ninja Warrior, the TV show. Right. If you're familiar with that. Yeah. Parkour or something. Yeah. Right. Well, I think like obstacle courses in general are like a, a pretty cool thing that you see a lot of for kids, but you know, you don't see a lot of that for adults. I guess like Ninja Warrior is maybe the type of thing that's bringing that into uh, popularity for adults. But it would be cool to see more of that. I agree. I would love to see. I don't know. I want to. I want to climb a Persian castle. Mm -hmm. I want to go to a bouldering gym, and they just have it. Oh, it's Persian Castle Day, and we've got gouts of water that simulate the flames that that are on a timer. Yeah, yeah, it'd be so cool. Are we uh, ready for another topic? Yeah, sure. Uh, Kev, your topic is haunted articles of clothing. Yeah, I don't know how much depth there is to this topic, but I've noticed recently I, I've gotten more into fashion, collecting clothes and stuff, and I have a collection of clothes that people have died in. So I have... <laughs> like on purpose? No, like I have a brown leather jacket that a friend gave me who, like, a drug dealer he knew or something OD'd in it and died. And then... And he was just like, I'm taking this jacket. Yeah, pretty much. And then I have a, a leather bracelet with like a skull and crossbones on that I bought at a, like some gothic market. And the vendor there told me it belonged to their friend who passed away uh, and died in the bracelet as well. So now... Um, yeah this has become a trend and i'm wondering if anybody else is uh into this or i wonder if there's like uh some legal reason why thrift stores don't like mark items as like oh yeah this used to be a dead person's shirt that's very you know if they put up a little profile card on the previous owner or something yeah. i'd be very interested in that because you know there's yeah there's history behind these clothes yeah there's a big difference though between like something that belonged to someone who has died versus something that they actually died that's, in. That's oh yeah, died while routine. touching for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Too. yeah, I think I probably have a bunch of other articles that, you know, people have asked the previous owners, but I'm not sure that they went down in them, right? Like Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've got the the bathroom guest book that my grandma used to have, but I don't think she died while signing it. <laughs> Wait, bathroom guest book? So people would come over, use the restrooms. Yeah, yeah. Them. You're supposed to you're supposed to sign the book, date it, and then like check some boxes for what you did in there and then write your notes. <laughs> Amazing. What a great historical artifact. Yeah, yeah. I used to for a while I, I would sign it every time I pooped at my grandma's house. So it's gonna be so valuable to future anthropologists. Wait, so you have the book, Jim, and then you can see how many times you signed it yourself? Do you, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. Yeah, it's a fun artifact. That's, that's quite that's kind of like quantified self data, you know. It was it was the only thing I like when people were like, Hey, do, do you want any of grandma's possessions? It was the only thing I asked for. That's charming. Not not the clothes she died in. <laughs> no, they wouldn't fit. <laughs> So, Kev, now that you have at least two of these items, uh, is it your goal to collect more? Yeah, I don't know. Now I feel like this could be a thing. I could open up like an e-commerce store and like we show the people, you know, we'll like have some verification where like, here's the dead body wearing this item. And then, I can think know. of a more straightforward way you can go about this. <laughs> no, no, your idea is better. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's uh, wild. I don't even know how you would seek out this type of stuff. 
Yeah, there's got to be a, like a black market for this sort of thing. Like I know that, for example, eBay won't sell you human remains, or I think I think they won't even sell you like animal bones. Coming to think of it, I remember see, seeing like uh, someone was trying to sell like some old chewing gum that Arnold Schwarzenegger chewed on eBay. Love it, and they the eBay took the listing down because it said Schwarzenegger DNA in the description, <laughs> but. They allowed them to list it when they didn't mention the DNA. So like you can't sell the body parts unless they're just an incidental part of this other item that you're selling also. There is a fashion market I've seen for like old punk rock clothing, t-shirts, jeans with patches on, vests. And it seems that they get marked up more for like blood stains, beer stains on it, kind of like the party wear and tear. I've seen things going for like two hundred to five hundred dollars for like a black flag T-shirt that's like spilled has spills on it and stuff. Yeah, I wonder how they can verify the spills are legitimate right, spills, right. not added after the fact. This article is written like a joke, so I think it's a joke. But it says the Value Village is t- is to launch a clothes people have died in line. Really? The Value Village Clothes People Have Died in Line sale starts on October 15th and will run through November 4th. Uh, that was in 2019. So apparently it's it's long long gone, but like if it was a big success and if this article isn't a joke. They're, they're calling it ghost garb. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> For the socks someone died in from falling out of bed. Oh, the yeah, the cause of death. That's a, that's a big detail you got to have in there too. Oh yeah, sure. So I see this topic is called haunted articles of clothing, implying that when someone dies in their clothes, their spirit inhabits them. Is that that, that the implication? Yeah, there's some residual, you know, quantum mechanic uh, connection there left over. I'm tired of ghosts of dead people. I want to meet ghosts of people who are still alive. Ooh. I want articles of clothing worn by people who are still alive, and I want to be haunted by those people. There we go. Yeah. They'll be able to coming after me saying, hey, that's my hat. Give it back. So <laughs> somebody, you'd be wearing somebody's hat in a higher dimension or another parallel timeline. Right. Or just get styling advice from them. Yeah. Styling advice from people who are still alive. <laughs> if you search for clothes people have died in, almost all the results are not like nine times people were murdered by their clothes. <laughs> oh, and the article of clothing is like the cause of death. Interesting. Right, broke to death by this necktie. That's that's like cursed clothing, right? That's like <laughs> yeah. his shirt will kill you. <laughs> right, yeah. Another thing to consider is that if you just buy enough clothes at Goodwill, you'd ha- definitely have haunted clothing. You just wouldn't know which is which. Mm. So, how important is that to you that you you can have a huge collection of of interesting artifacts, you just can't find them? It would be like living in the Library of Babel. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know that that makes it as valuable then, right? Because you lose that uh, the story, that attachment. Right. It sounds like one of those logic puzzles where like, if you can test a certain set of clothing, how do you determine which ones are, <laughs> are haunted in the least number of tests? Right. Yeah. Uh, April and I are watching a TV show called Lockwood & Co., uh, which is on Netflix. I think it's just one season, unfortunately. But it's it's very British. It's very like... Ghostbusters sort it's like if Ghostbusters were like more mystical and less technological and also like it had been happening for 50 years. Mm-hmm. So like more mature as a like we've got entire corporations built around this sort of thing. And they've got a very detailed cosmology for how hauntings work. I, I can't actually answer your question in this world. How do you test for a <laughs> for an object haunting but that's what came to mind like I, I recommend that it was a book series first so if you're into reading books more right, than it's... watching netflix shows you can do that anyway that's i guess that's a recommendation that's my plug for this episode <laughs> are we ready for another topic yeah sure all right my topic is burrito r&d i've definitely talked about burritos on this show before specifically um i'm from san diego where burritos are very different than they are here Typically, a San Diego burrito, if you order like a carne asada burrito, it's not going to have rice or beans or sour cream or all the other stuff. It just has the carne asada plus uh, like a guacamole sauce in it. And 
you know, I've tried asking for like, hey, hey, if, if you go to like a mission burrito shop and say, hey, can you give me a burrito with just carne asada and guacamole? They'll give it to you, but it's not the the flavors aren't balanced right for that to work. Mm-hmm. It doesn't match and it doesn't uh, it isn't what I'm looking for. So I had the opportunity over the weekend. I went to a friend's wedding in San Diego, and this is like the first time in I think 10 years that I've had a San Diego burrito. And it was, you know, as good as I remembered. But I also had the opportunity to, uh, we went to like a catered brunch or something uh, after the wedding. And at the end of the the brunch, the caterer just took all their like prepared component. They were making tacos and they took all their components and put them in Ziploc bags for people to bring home if they wanted. Uh, and one of the components was uh, the pollo asado, the grilled chicken meat, grilled and spiced chicken meat, and also the guacamole sauce. And I say it's a sauce because it's thinner than like a dip guacamole. Mm-hmm. It, you like you you would pour it. Yeah. And I had the opportunity to try both. And the pollo asado is just like you can get anywhere in California. But the guacamole sauce was like I think that might actually be what I'm looking for. And I was just like I'm not a you know a super taster, despite having been on a show called Super Tasters. But I my analysis was that this like what was different about this was the extremely high onion content. And I could be wrong about that, but I'm going to do some experiments. I found a a recipe for t- taco shop guacamole on a website. I'm going to try doing it. I'm going to try doing like a blended guac with uh with like a quarter of an onion in there. So, so Jim, you're saying the, the missing component from the, the NorCal burritos to the San Diego burritos is this uh, guacamole sauce. That's what I'm hoping. Okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna, well, I'm, I might not figure it out, but I'm gonna try to figure it out. The, I think the, I think the tortillas are different too. And then even if I, after I get this done, uh, there's also the bean and cheese burrito is different somehow. Mm. <laughs> I haven't even started to analyze that. Like, I've, it took me several years of living here first to realize that like, Oh, the reason I don't like these burritos is that there's a completely different food stuff than what I'm used to. Like I, I, for years I went to like burrito shops in the Bay area because I wasn't paying attention. It was like, Oh, I guess I just don't like this one. (laughs) And (laughs) it took quite a while for me to figure out what was going on. And then once I started paying attention, like every time I took a trip back to San Diego, uh, I would like try to gather more data about what to do. And like the real trick would have been, and this, I only could have done this like between jobs probably. And also before I had a kid, but like I should have taken it like a burrito internship. Like I want to work at one of these taco shops just for a week. And maybe I would even pay them to do it because I'm going to quit after a week after you train me. So while we're on this topic, I was just in the mission in San Francisco recently, and there's like this place, it's got a sign where it's like home of the mission burrito. Like what, what are the characteristics of a mission burrito? I I think of it as being uh, much more um, involved, like many, many more, many more ingredients than a, um, than a San Diego burrito. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised they're taking like credit for it though, because the mission burrito is, is world famous. Yeah. And in fact, like the uh, San Diego burrito kind of like evolved from it because the uh, the steamed tortilla where they make the tortillas huge enough for like a like a burrito the size of your forearm that was invented in the mission. But yeah, the mission burrito will have um, it'll have rice and beans in it. It'll have the the meat. If you're having the meat, it'll have the cheese. Uh, And then it often has like sour cream and pico de gallo. And all like all that stuff. In fact, I had a burrito um, in San Diego that had sour cream and cheese in it. And it was just, this is wrong. This is not, cheese does not belong in, in a burrito. Yeah. What, what style of burrito is Chipotle slinging? Is that a uh, NorCal? It's, it's closer to NorCal. Yeah. Um, but I think it's like, I, I don't think it really fits under either umbrella. What would you call that? Well, they have the they have the rice and beans in it, so that's kind of sounding like the differentiator here. Yeah, uh, they do the cheese as well. Yeah, and I, I love a chipotle burrito, but it is a very different. Yeah, I mean it. It according to Chipotle Mexican Grill on Wikipedia, they call it a mission burrito. Okay, cool. So 
There you so go. Are there, are there any chains like Chipotle that do a San Diego style burrito? I haven't seen one. The the chain, the 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 Mexican food chain from San Diego that I have seen um around, although it's still not popular, is Rubio's with the fish tacos. Oh, I've been to Rubio's. That's good. Yeah, I agree. This close to lunchtime right now. This topic is getting me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting, we're getting into this. What what about wet burritos or smothered burritos? Oh, what, man. What's the background on that? Oh, that's a whole other thing. That's yeah, that one I was in an airport. So you can't trust my opinion about things. I was, I was, I had airport head, but this was also like, before I understood that not every burrito is a San Diego burrito. I ordered a burrito at, you know, some Mexican place in an airport. Yeah. And it was the kind that was like, it came out on a plate drenched in some jelly or some shit, you know? (laughs) And I, I was so mad about this. You can't eat that on the go. You can't eat that with your hands. It's a, the commitment it I, it didn't even occur to me to get a knife and fork so i was just like well i'm fucking now my hands are going to be met wet <laughs> <laughs> no way. you just picked it up in the jelly and just got at it i was so i had airport head man that's amazing <laughs> everyone gets a pass for things that happen in the airport yeah so do you still have a sample of the uh of the guacamole sauce for reference no i did not I did not, it didn't occur to me to try to bring some home. I could have just grabbed the whole bag of guac, but I don't, you know, it's liquid. So they wouldn't let it through the TSA. (laughs) You just need like a little, you know, three ounce reference container or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would be all it would take. I know I, all I have is my memories. I've made tomatillo salsa before the green salsa. Right. (laughs) I think you could probably cross that up with an avocado and get close to what you're looking for yeah i got some tomatillos i have i have the ingredients i have them and i've been waiting for i've been waiting for it to be burrito night at the storm dancer household yeah but it keeps being postponed for various reasons also like i would be the only one eating this this guac because everyone else in my family hates onions oh weird so sad which is a big like handicap you know i i've been I don't know. I, I I would say I'm still learning to cook. It's been a couple of years, but you know, it's a lifelong process, and I feel like I have been significantly handicapped by that. Like, yeah, they're kind of a foundational ingredient in a lot mm-hmm. of things. Right? Are we uh, are we ready for another topic? Yeah, sure. Uh, for this topic, we're going to be doing the poem "Casey at the Bat." Uh, would one of you like to read this poem, or shall I? I can take a crack at it, so to speak. So to speak. Are we ready? I'm ready. Ready when you are. The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood four to two with one inning more to play. And then when Cooney died at first and Barrows did the same, a sickly silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to the hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought if only Casey could but get a whack at that, we'd put up even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, as did Jimmy Blake, and the former was a Lulu and the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude, grim melancholy sat, for there seemed but little chance of Casey's getting to bat. But Flynn let drive a single to the wonderment of all, and Blake the much despised tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted, and men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second, and Flynn a hug in third. Then from five thousand throats and more there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley, it rattled in the dell. It knocked upon the mountain and recoiled upon the flat, for Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile on Casey's face. And when, responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat, no stranger in the crowd could doubt t'was Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, Defiance gleamed in Casey's eye, a sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching in the haunting grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the empire said. From the benches, black with people, there went up a muffled roar, like the beating of the storm waves on a stern and distant shore. Kill him, kill the umpire, shouted one on the stand. And it's likely they'd... Have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. 
With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the spheroid flew. But Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, strike two. Fraud, cried the maddened thousands, and the echo answered fraud. But one scornful look from Casey and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain. And they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go, and the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light, and somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere chi- somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. That Casey, he's got to shape up. He blew it. You learn to take your opportunities when you get them. Yeah, even the mighty can uh, can strike out. So you know how, like, I think if you asked, if you did a poll, like half the people would say that Rocky won the fight at the end of Rocky. I wonder of the people who are aware of this poem, how many people remember it as being Casey's victory. <laughs> That's interesting. We just did the um, the road less traveled by, mm-hmm. which one commenter said was the most misunderstood poem in America. Uh, and it was because it's, it's quoted by people who... Uh, who want to validate their unique decisions, but in fact, it's about how the roads were basically the same. But I just decided to—I decided that one was more important because I took it. Like a hindsight bias of thinking because you did it, it was the right decision. Right. I like this poem. Uses the word spheroid. It's very good. That was a good cho- word choice. I, I liked my attention. I liked Lulu. I, although, like, it sounds like it's an insult. It's being used as an insult. But I looked up Lulu, and if most of the Results were for Lululemon, <laughs> the fashion brand. Uh, but uh, dictionary, uh, Merriam-Webster.com says, one that is remarkable or wonderful, a Lulu of a performance. So maybe that that, that, that that word has changed meaning, or maybe Ernest Lawrence Thayer didn't know what it meant. And so in that context, what do they mean to say the latter was a cake? Yeah, great question. That one's going to be harder to look up because it means so many things. Right. Uh, something easily done, a hard or brittle layer or deposit, a bread-like food made from dough or batter that is fried or baked. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you know. I mean, from context, it seems like they're saying that, that the fans don't think either of these two batters are going to be successful. Right. Maybe Lulu is sarcastic. The whole There's a verse that gives a lot of like sainthood Jesus vibes, it's like... Uh, with a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shown, like just ah, on the plate, you know, that's... Yeah. No, I think that's very uh, interesting choice, right? Because the whole poem is kind of about how the fans have like deified uh, yeah. this player. Yeah. Yep. And he's deified himself. Even gods can strike out. Yeah, I feel like that's the hidden message here. He, you know, he fell from sainthood or something. Huh. So I found a a reference for Lulu specifically within baseball, and it it says it it's, it means an un, unskilled player. Although now I'm not sure about like I don't I don't trust any of these search results because they're probably all machine generated. Did you ask Chat GPT what Lulu means? Oh, here's one from here's a Quora reply from three years ago. Uh this 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 guy is just guessing. Yeah, who knows? We'll never we'll never find out any it oh here we go. A remarkable or wonderful person or thing frequently used ironically. So there you go. It it it's a word like cleave that also is his uh, contains its own opposite. And and also thanks to sarcasm, that's every word. Yeah. Oh uh, now I'm I'm trying to find out more about cake and Google has detected unusual traffic for my computer network. I need to do a captcha to prove that I'm not a robot. Uh oh. Searching for cake, risky move. <laughs> oh, baseball themed cake. Lots of Pinterest links. What, uh, when did this poem come out? I'm trying to gauge. Oh, yeah, great, great question. That's, what, uh, era, what era this slang is from, right? I think, like, this is, I think this is 19th century, but let's, let's. Thayer died in 1940, it looks like. Because cake these days is uh, Zoomer slang for uh, booty. Uh, right. Times, yeah. That's yeah, true. One, one of them had a huge badonkadonk. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> Jimmy Blake was packing cake. That's what this poem is. Uh, 1888. 1880. Wow. What are, what is some other 1888 slang? What's all the hubba? Is that the 1888 that, in that slang? Might be 1950s. See if we just had a, an article of clothing that Thayer had died in, we could we could ask him. <laughs> oh, I found a single. Oh, but wait a minute. I think this is um, uh, an excerpt from a, a, a podcast, but here's this paragraph. Uh, a collection of Bethlehem, Pennsylvania slang from 1888 contains such gems as first, meant to be used interchangeably with just, as in, she is first eight years old, and coffee soup, bread with coffee poured over it. Wow. I don't know what else you would call coffee with bre- bread with coffee poured over it. And I think that's just, I don't think that's the uh, slang. That's just descriptive are we uh ready for another topic yeah mm-hmm. uh, kev your topic is becoming a vtuber after losing a bet oh yeah so i have a regular friday gaming group where we uh you know get together play co-op games and stuff and i primarily have a mac computer so i'm usually you know we, we usually have to find some cross-platform thing we can all play and uh one of my gamer colleagues made a bet that if i got a windows set up he would become a vtuber and so of course i got a windows machine and now he's putting together his vtuber persona and all the tools to uh you know for those who aren't familiar vtuber is a virtual streamer so uh someone who has like a real-time animated avatar usually an anime character or something and then voices over so uh my friend is working on putting that together now after losing a bet and we've been going into the rabbit hole of vtuber tech and i mean now there's ai driven vtubers which is blowing my mind like neurosama uh is this like completely ai driven vtuber on twitch and just what what a crazy time to be on the internet does the ai also play the video game i think so well i think they're working on that i'm not sure there may be some uh reinforcement learning playing the games as well yeah yeah that's intense consistent with the theme of uh uh ai automating away all the fun things and leaving all the boring stuff to the humans yeah how do you as a streamer how do you feel about this world of vtubers alex have you considered a vtuber persona or you know what is this yeah i've never considered one for myself i like (laughs) i like being on camera and getting a lot of attention but um i think vtubers are really cool like the tech involved is like super interesting uh and it's very involved it's like kind of surprised there's a lot to get into on losing a bet Yeah, my friend who lost the bet has kind of hit a wall here because he doesn't have hardware that's powerful enough to run the VTuber software at the moment. So uh, yeah, it's a lot. Still, still holding him to the bet in the future when he upgrades. You know, it's very cool what people can do. Like all of the kind of like motion, motion detection, motion sensing that you can get, even just with like a regular webcam to like have that mirrored on your avatar. It's like it's really neat, actually. Facial expression tracking, like the whole, the whole deal. Is this one of those situations where like you need to have a specific NVIDIA card or none of the tools work? I don't know about specific cards, but you do need to have some beefy processing, I think. Yeah. I've seen avatars now with like physics built in. So like hair physics, turning your head to hair shuffles and like the same way. It's getting pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. So presumably your friend already wanted to do this before signing up signing up to the bet <laughs> well he is a 3d animator so part of it is kind of an exercise too like can he create uh, uh avatar model that he would want uh you know so yeah this was this was a little push over the edge to get on the project that's a good trick pick a punishment for yourself that you already want to do yeah mm-hmm. so any sponsorships yet for the vtuber <laughs> yeah no no <laughs> nothing we can be the first i could topic lords could sponsor this <laughs> <laughs> that's great i've got no money after after the patreon budget all goes to esper yeah i i think um the next step is you know when we're all wearing what 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 are the name of what's the name of apple's new the visions visions the... yeah <laughs> when we're all wearing those in real life you can have real life yeah, VTuber. Just, everyone will be a real time even if it's just like like i want to do uh the snapchat filter that cleans up my acne 
Uh, I mean, I think that's like, that's exactly it, right? There's so many different like levels at which you can do this stuff with like filters or, you know, full VTubers or, you know, something in between where it's like a, I've seen people do like a PNG tuber where it's, you know, not a full 3D rendered thing, but it's like a little like animated, yeah. you know, character. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you can do some pretty sophisticated stuff with um, like skeletal 2D animation. Hey Jim, I was watching your Mario videos recently. Do you do any like uh, filtering, post processing on your yeah? Shot um, on this that? is why I thought of Nvidia specifically. Is that I use a tool called um, Nvidia Broadcast, which does the background blurring on on my camera. I mean, so it, it's just blurring out the background of of what you see behind me. And before I started using that, I spent a long time trying to get a collection or like a series of plugins that would do that in OBS. Like I, if I remember right, the trick is that since it's not all happening in the same plugin, they have to communicate through uh, an RGB image. So like I had to find one that replaced the background with pink, you know, it was like a virtual green screen yeah. or something like that. I, I can't remember exactly what happened, but like, I could not, I, it, it was, it was a big pain in the ass and it did not work as well as just using like, yeah, I'll just use NVIDIA broadcast, whatever that's doing behind the scenes. Similarly, like I just recently started using Zoom to record this podcast. And before that, we were just having everybody record in Audacity or whatever, and then doing manual cleanup of that stuff. But like Zoom, they've put a lot of programmer time into getting like good quality speech, like cleaned up speech. To, presumably doing things like noise removal automatically. And why not piggyback off of that? Sure. Why, why shouldn't I just take advantage of that? And, and since they, uh, I found out, I don't know, I found a few months ago, but I only finally started use, trying this like a month ago. Uh, I found out a few months ago that, that Zoom does multi-channel call recording. So we get individual channels of each speaker, which is which was the main reason I was having everybody record locally anyway. So, Jim, I, I noticed you have an animated fish background on the Zoom call right now. Is that from the NVIDIA or is that? No, that's part of Zoom. That's a Zoom feature. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, and the the laptop that I use to record my voice for those, um, the Mario Let's Plays, and that I do for Zoom or for um, other video chats that I do for work, that does not have NVIDIA on it. It doesn't have an NVIDIA graphics chip. So I can't run NVIDIA broadcast on my laptop. So whatever's happening in Zoom, it's either like uh, it's either doing software background removal or it's doing it on a more using a more compatible CUDA or whatever. Are we uh, ready for another topic? Yeah. Yeah. Alex, your topic is getting a guided tour of a TV show. Yeah. So I, I feel like this is a thing that a lot of people do. But if you're if you want to get into a TV show, for example, or you want to get a friend of yours into a TV show. You know, for example, I have a friend who I've been uh, trying to get them to watch Steven Universe because one of my favorite shows. And uh, but it's a very long show. There's like three seasons with like 10,000 episodes in each season or something. You know, I'm sure it's the same for like a lot of shows. But it's really cool to like pick and choose episodes and give someone kind of like a guided tour. Be like, here, here's a tailored list that I think will introduce, you know, what I like about this show to you and what I think you will like about this show. Um and let's like, you know, watch this like tailored list of episodes together. I think that's such a cool like act of love and like, you know, having that shared experience of like something that's custom made to your to your interests and to your, you know, your tastes. Yeah. I have often wanted to do the same sort of thing with a video game, like especially because then, then I came up with this idea a long time ago, back when video games were more commonly like 40 hours long. Mm -hmm. Like there were like 10 good moments in this game. I want to be able to just share with somebody this here are the 10 good moments and also give them like somehow give them the context they would need to appreciate them. Yeah. Yeah. Like a tailored list of like, you need to experience this and then you can experience this and then this and then this. And that's like, you know, the optimal experience. Yeah. Yeah. The context is the tricky part because sometimes you have to play through like 10 hours of grindy, you know, frustration to hit one of those peak moments and yeah like, oh okay yeah right and so the context could be like it could be story or it could even be like no you just need to be good enough at the game to get it mm -hmm. like you need to have played for 10 hours to be to be good enough at the game to be able right, to experience right. this moment but also there's like 
I, th- I think in some games, the context is that you have been doing rote, boring things for 10 hours, and suddenly this thing pops because it is no longer rote or boring. Suddenly you found something interesting. Right. I feel like uh, Bethesda games are almost built on that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think people can also kind of showcase, like maybe do that in the opposite order, like showcase something that that is interesting, like showcase what this game is really about to kind of like get you into it. And then once you're invested, you say, okay, well now, you know, now go do the boring stuff. Yeah. I've, well, I've had that problem where like, I, I don't know, I watched um, someone's top 10 list of Star Trek Next Generation episodes and I liked them all well enough. But then like when I started watching the main series, it was like, oh, right. Those are the best ones. Yeah. <laughs> this, the rest of it is not going to be that good. Right. So I think that's exactly what you need is you need someone to put together kind of a list that goes through the entire series and like highlights not just the best episodes, but also kind of the the things that give you the context that you need to appreciate them so that you can go through and have this like abridged experience that still, you know, gets you the meat of what the show is all about. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to you get, you get the Cliff's notes or the spark notes, as the kids say, mm-hmm. or <laughs> whatever the the kids kids version of that is because i think the spark notes is what my generation would say <laughs> but it's also so personal right like the list of, of episodes that you know you might find most interesting is it could be different than than someone else and so for someone to know you well enough that they can say this is the gym edition of, of star trek yeah and that's always tricky like knowing somebody that well is tricky i, I read at some point that it's a very very common fallacy that people will people tend to give gifts that they would themselves want. Mm-hmm. And so like I, to, to the extent that like this person is like you, then that works. But like knowing what someone else's taste is a particular skill that not everybody has. Apparently even like knowing that their taste is not identical to yours is also a particular skill that not everybody has. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I think it's also personal in the other direction, right? You're sharing something about yourself and your own taste when you kind of share one of these lists. Yeah. 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 I remember trading albums in high school. Sure, yeah. uh, You know, this dude gave me, like, The Clash, London Calling or something, and, like, uh, Rancid's Out Come the Wolves, and then gave me a slip of paper with each of them, and we're like, here are the good songs on here, (laughs) right? And I was like, what? Yeah. And then, you know, I listen to it and find stuff that he didn't list at all that I really enjoy, and it's like, okay, and... uh, this was like, you know, uh, impressionable kind of peer pressure thing. Like, oh, is this what the cool kids are listening to? They like these <laughs> songs. I don't like those. Right. Like there's some anxiety there. And uh, yeah, that's that's my experience in this kind of guided tour scenario. Yeah. And there's the whole um, I don't think this is a thing anymore, but um, the whole aspect of dating where you exchange mixtapes. Oh, yeah. Like these are the songs that I love. Perhaps you will also love them. And if so, we could fall in love. Mm-hmm. I don't think people exchange Spotify playlists these days, but I could be wrong. No, I, some people do that. I've I've done that a bit. Yeah, yeah okay. That's All the right. new mixtape swap. It's not the same as making a physical artifact. No, it's not. I agree. Even a mixed CD, not, not quite the same. Nope. Yeah, there was something about, something about that moment in time. What are, what are some series or uh i don't know movies film tv or games that are just like unapproachable without a guided tour now you know like <laughs> like doctor who right There's oh yeah so that's a great there. example people tell me to get into doctor who and i'm like just it's like intimidating it's like an iceberg right like it's just where do you even begin i remember my my sister was trying to get me into homestuck and the way she approached this was just because homestuck was such a uh, unapproachable monolith. She sent me the previous thing that person had made, mm-hmm. uh, which was Problem Sleuth, right? Problem Sleuth. That's right. Yeah. 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 Which was entertaining, but like it was also, as it turned out, like also huge. Also, just like <laughs> this has, you know, thousands of comics in the series. I wasn't willing to invest the time. Like, and, and when it came to, to Homestuck, like, it it felt like it had gotten so much into ARG territory almost where mm-hmm. like not only is it the comic, but you also kind of have to be part of the community to understand it. Like, and there's also like the flash games that don't work anymore. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like it's a moment in time and even things like um, Harry Potter, like the, fir- the seven Harry Potter books 
are ideally experienced by someone who is growing up alongside the characters. Yep. But like what 11 year old has the patience to wait a year to read a book that's right there that they really want to read? Yeah. I feel, I feel like in the game space, Final Fantasy is getting up there where it's like, where do you enter? What do you play? What are the highlights? And you can, you know, forego some of the entries. And then like comics in general is like, hey, do you want to get into the X-Men? Where would you even start, you know, with that, right? Like the latest issue or? Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. A friend of mine once tried to get me into the band Fish and I'm like, this is, I have no idea where to start here. You have to like, you have to help me out. Like, give me some songs to listen to. That is a good example because they have all these like one-off live recordings throughout the years, right? Like in everything's a jam session. Like, yeah, that's, that's wild. I would start with the Ben and Jerry's flavor fish food. <laughs> I think that's their best work. Uh, and that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. All right. Alex, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? People can find me on my uh, Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash games almost every night. All right. And Kev, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kev Zettler is the handle. And I am going to go get a burrito after this uh, session. Yeah, you, you deserve <laughs> it. You've earned it. All right. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!